Welcome to the D-Shift Podcast, where we provide inspiration, motivation, and education to help you transition from the challenges of divorce to discover the freedom and ability to live life on your own terms. Are you ready? Let's get this shift started. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the D-Shift. And today I want to introduce somebody that I just met recently. She is a phenomenal person. Her name is Beth Allison. And Beth is a, Beth has a really unique um, niche in the coaching industry in that she supports people who are dealing with family members with dementia. And I know a lot of our listeners are um, Beth, what 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 do we call that? The sandwich generation where they're dealing with older people in their house and they're also dealing with younger people. So as women, we tend to take on that caregiver role. So Beth, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be a part of this. So this is this is a really interesting topic and one that is certainly touched many, many, many families and many lives. So what what got you into this area of expertise and why do you think that this is so important for people today? Yeah, well, when I was first uh, looking to leave uh, corporate America, um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. I found my way to life coaching. Um, and as I was doing that, as much of most of us coaches know, we can coach people on anything, um, but really where our experiences come from. So I first really started on life transitions. So a career change, readying for retirement. Um, however, it started to resonate with me that there was a population of people um, that I had been part of, which was having a family member diagnosed with dementia. Um, my mother had Alzheimer's and my dad and I and my brother kind of really just kind of wung it, right? We took a while to get out of denial and then what are we going to do? Um, and I really wish I had known uh, then what I know now. I know that that sounds so cliche, um, but it's so true. And I didn't really know anybody who had gone through it to have that personal side. And there was a lot of information out there. The Alzheimer's Association is great, but I went to their website and I was already in overwhelm and didn't know. And it the site kind of, overwhelmed me more. Yeah. Um, so it took me a while to get through. And I rarely, it now is really an anomaly when I meet people and tell them what I do. If I hear that someone hasn't known someone with dementia or especially in their family, right? It's, it's rare you don't find somebody who has had some type of experience with it. Um, and then when I tell them what I do, they I kind of get the response like, oh, I wish I had that when I was going through it. Or I know so many coach. people who could, <laughs> right, right? I know so many people who could use that. Yeah. Um, but it's, it, it's near and dear to me. Um, I'm very proud of how we navigated with what we knew at the time. I think we respected my mom's wishes and, and, all that. Um, and now I'm kind of doing it with my dad who doesn't have dementia, but it's still the caregiving, right? It's a lot of it is the planning. Yeah. Um, as much as you can, there's no crystal ball. 
Um, and uh, the plan probably will not go as planned, but that's where in the plan you have options. Right. And, and it's knowing what those options are. So it was the dementia hit close to home. And that's yeah. kind of how I found my way yeah. to wanting to help others. Yeah. And, and, and so dementia and Alzheimer's and the whole umbrella of cognitive disorders as people tend to get older, um, it seems like there's a lot more diagnosis of this. So do you think the medical field has just caught up to, oh, that's just not, you know, senility or that's just not normal aging. And they're starting to recognize that this is really a brain dysfunction issue. Yes. I believe the medical um, world has caught up to that. I think it's the individuals catching up, right? Because I remember when my mother was starting to have the, the symptoms, right? But I'm just going... She's getting older, you know, her social life has dwindled. So, you know, she's her world is smaller, so she's going to repeat things, right? And it's just aging. And then it got to a point that I really said, I don't think so. It became much more evident that there was something else and um, got the doctors to take a look at it. Uh, she went to a gerontologist, a neurologist, and it got diagnosed. And now, now you've got that, you know, kind of be afraid of what you ask for, right? It's kind of like, oh, it's not just get, you know, it's not, okay, so what does this mean? Yeah. Um, so I do believe the medical field has finally caught up. It's now the rest of us um, being more open to the possibility. So, so I, I appreciate that. And maybe what are some of the early signs that a family member might notice, whereas a medical doctor, you know, seeing them 15 minutes twice a year, however often people go to the doctor. And especially now with people going to so many specialists, sometimes there's not that ongoing relationship with a, with a family doctor, like the old time when we grew up, the whole family went to the same doctor. You, you know, you went with that doctor till you were born until that doctor retired, <laughs> you know? So now that's not the way that most people deal with their medical stuff. So what do family members or what should family members be watching for if they've got some concerns? You know, I think it definitely is, you know, the, the normal ones, they are repeating themselves, right? They are, um, not sure of people's names. You'll even see them walk differently, right? Because it could be the environment that they're in, they're not familiar with, right? So they're very much more cautious about how they're walking. One of the things that in hindsight um, was my mother lost the, the sense of uh, taste. Oh, really? Okay. So she really wasn't eating, but it took us a while. We would hear that she doesn't want to. She's not hungry. But as we learned, she didn't want to because she couldn't taste it. Right? Oh, yeah, that makes um, sense. So it's a lot of times if you're seeing things where they would normally do, trying to find out why 
So there was, for her, it was the loss of taste, which was one of the things as it progressed, it made her extremely frail because she wasn't eating. Um, she would want sweet. So peanut butter and jelly, kind of talk about, you know, life in a circle, right? As kids right. growing up, you love peanut butter and jelly. And what was she really eating? Um, I think if she could have had it for three meals a day, she would have. Um, we did finally get her to drink Ensure, so the chocolate, so that it was sweet, and um, soda, which was not something she usually um, drank. But if she was going to eat, it was something that had a sweet um, flavor. Okay. Okay. So basically, any kind of changes that are ongoing and unusual or concerning is what I'm hearing could potentially yes. be something. If they feel out of sorts, like if you can tell that they're not comfortable, is I think a, a, another thing. My mother became much more fidgety. Okay. She was fidgety to begin with. So that was a hard one for us to um, identify. Um, but she was much more fidgety as time went on. Okay. Um, and I think, you know what, if you just are sensing something that's off, get them tested so you can find out early, as early as you can in the process. Um, I will say that my parents, I refer to it as they had a dance. Um, he would lead, my mother would follow literally right she would take her cues from him so it kept it from other people noticing right so you had to be really really aware until it progressed a lot but they had this little dance and so I think my father had just gotten used to the dance so he was not necessarily acknowledging it as much as it was either right so, Right. So once once you have the diagnosis, when you're working with your clients and coaching them to support their loved ones, what are some of the basic things that you might want to implement in your home? Like, are there specific um, physical changes in the environment or, you know, what what kind of things can you help? Can you assist people to stay more cognitively active or more engaged with life or? I don't know if I'm phrasing that right. No, there are things you can do. One of the things that we were very concerned about, my mom, she was accident prone early on in her life, but we did move some of the furniture to give her a wider walking space. So um, she wouldn't bump into legs of chairs or um, the edge of carpet right? That like there was a rug on a hardwood floor. So we did those things. Um, the other things, depending on um, things that they would normally use, put them out, right? So that they can see them because Good they idea. don't remember yeah. where they went, right? you know? Um, and so then they'd be looking all over and even though it was in the same place it had been for the last 15 years. Sure. They're not. So if there are things that they use repetitively, keep them out on counters 
or things like that. It does drive the OCD people a little crazy when you do that, but um, <laughs> um, it's much better than, you know, my dad having to be called from to the other room to find the salt Yes. or, yeah. you know, a glass. Yeah. So, um, and there, there does come a time if they're still at home, right. That like my mother wasn't always sure where the, the bathroom was. Right. And so there was um, a door that went down to the basement. So when I had noticed that when I was over, and I'm going to notice things because I'm not there all the time. My dad's not going to notice them, right? So you want to visit your loved one if you're not living with them, kind of to see how things are progressing. But I said to him, I said, you're going to want to get a lock on the basement door. And he said to me, he said, she doesn't go down there. I'm like, that's not why I suggest that. I said, she may think that that's the bathroom and open the door and take a step and she'll be down on the concrete in the basement. Yeah, I did. And he was like, oh, right. I said, it just, you know, um, it's because they can get disoriented, right? And so there are things, you know, when I work with my clients, it's one, helping them if the loved one is going to stay in the home that they're at, or there are, you know, other options. There are also resources that can come in and evaluate a home, right? They're dementia specialists. I'm not. I have my experience. I'm not a specialist. But there are people who can come in and say, oh, you might want to do X, Y, and Z, right, Right. Uh, for safety purposes. But there are. You can have in-home care come in, right? So making sure that the caregiver gets time to themselves, which is uberly important. Um, And then, you know, there are different options for assisted living. And then there is when there needs to be some nursing or medical care. So I've created a caregiving continuum uh, that outlines those things. And I meet my clients wherever they are on that continuum. So do you find that um, staying, and I know there's a, there's a lot of debate about whether people with Alzheimer's and dementia should be kept at home when it becomes a day, you know, when it becomes more dangerous, like, um, I mean, I, I worked in a psych hospital, full disclosure, I worked in a psych hospital for five years and there was a dementia. Well, it wasn't called memory care. Then it was called dementia, the dementia unit. And, um, you know, it was locked doors. It was locked windows. It was um, really designed to prevent people from wandering out, getting lost, maybe getting, I mean, I was in Canada, maybe getting outside in the winter with just like their clothes on without having a coat and stuff. So that the lock stuff was for safety. Um, it, I, I'm sure as a family, that's a really hard decision to make as to when to actually look at a memory care unit or assisted living or, you know, a nursing home environment, like how, how, how do, what are some of the ways to make that decision? I know that's, it's incredibly personal. I'm sure every family has their own way to do that, but just generally, how do you see that coming about? Yeah, I I think it is extremely unique per family member. 
Um, one of the things that I talk to my clients about is that moves like to different environments, um, even if they're for a short amount of time, are very disruptive to somebody with dementia. Um, and so even if when they go back to where they're familiar with, they're, it's almost like it progresses the dementia, right? Because now they've gotten used to where they were. Maybe they have, right? And now they're back. So my mom stayed um, at home. My dad was the primary caregiver um, until she fell. Um, and then she left, went to the hospital, went into um, a rehab facility. There she broke her other hip, had to have the exact same surgery. She passed seven weeks from the day that she fell at home. But ironically, my dad and I had been talking a couple weeks before going, let's get her on a list. I think it's time for her to go in. And what the criteria for us was that it was really wearing a lot on my dad. Sure. And she was not getting the care that she necessarily needed. Right. Right. Because my dad couldn't do it all. We did have some help come in. Um, not a lot. Um, I think most people, and then especially um, people who have dementia, they don't want people they don't, don't know, know, even though yeah. they don't really know anybody right. um, that they don't know in their home because anybody who comes in is a stranger to them. Right. Sure. So I have a, my thought is if you can get them into a facility where they have progressive care, right. That is the most ideal because they will be familiar faces. They may not know who they are. It's kind of like my dad, my mom knew my dad's name was John, but did not necessarily know that he was her husband, right? So they lose the association. She knew she liked me. She liked it when I came over, but she didn't know my name. Right. And okay. so I'm certain she didn't know I was her daughter either, right? But so it's how much can somebody do, right? And are they willing to do? Um, right. There were things that I, for myself, I felt guilt and shame about. And these are all their valid feelings. I had to learn that. Um, <laughs> is that my mother needed to bathe. Well, part of the dementia for her is that she became afraid of water. I looked at my dad when we left the doctor's appointment. And I said, I hate to say this, but I can't make her. Right. Sure. Yeah. And I'm like, right. I said, so, um, and you have enough trouble getting her dressed and doing everything around the house. I said, there are people who do this. You can have somebody come in, make sure that she gets bathed. She'll not be happy with them, but they get to leave at the end of the day. I said, dad, you don't get to leave at the end of the day. Yeah. Right. So, and I looked at him at that point. And I said, and by the way, when it comes to your time, I can't do it for you either. So get that, out. <laughs> right. Yeah. Get that out of the way. Like, but those are things like, I'm not loved my mother. I'm not a caregiver, right? right? That's not the way I care is 
through my coaching, right? Sure. And, and yeah. that, right? Yeah. There's different elements. And so not everybody is a caregiver. Um, and so I really think that it is individual. I don't, I know that my parents never really had that specific of a conversation. They did have the conversation of, um, they promised the other that whoever got sick first, that the other would let, would have them stay at home for as long as possible. What's that? Yeah. Right. So yeah. let's identify that. Right. Is it until really they, you know, don't know where the bathroom is that they're tripping over things in the home. It's right. Whatever it is, but have those discussions. Cause I think my father sort of felt I made this agreement. Right. Um, and they were married for 62 years. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, very rarely were they apart. So, um, and I don't think he regrets it. Um, and a, a lot we, you know, um, we could look at things and say, we should have done it this way, should have done it that way. I think it played out exactly the way it should be because she fell two weeks into the pandemic. Yeah. Well, and so he wouldn't have been able to see her be there. Yeah. You know, and this is, I think, the value of your coaching because you can be that sounding board to ask those questions and then let people think through it and then make that decision and know that they explored options. They considered what was best for their loved one themselves. And the thing that I always bring up is, you know, if you've got little kids in the house, even if you've got teenagers in the house, this can be really traumatic for them too. If grandma or grandpa or a love, you know, an, an older loved one is dealing with Alzheimer's and dementia, it can be frightening for those kids sometimes. Um, so, you know, if there's some people get the real temper tantrums, they get the outbursts, they get yes. not everybody, but some people do. And so I think as the caregiver, you have to look at everybody in the family, including yourself, not, not just wanting to take care of one person, all the, you know, um, in well, this very difficult time. That's a great point because, you know, my dad and mom and I were living up in Connecticut and my brother was in Virginia. And so making sure we were keeping him informed of what was going on because it affected him as well, even though not right there. So trying to keep all the family members involved and not getting angry or feeling, you know, you're going to have all the feelings. You're going to be frustrated, angry, resentful. Um, you're going to go through grief when, when you're a loved one has dementia, you lose them before they die. Yeah. You know, I lost my mother years before she passed. Right. So you have, you're then going through that grief along with all the other things and um, having a safe place to have those conversations or, you know, I'm going to ask questions that they may not have thought about. I did it with um, someone recently. Um, she's going to be the caregiver of her sister when her sister ails her sister lives in a different state, five hours away. And I said, well, what, you know, have you and your husband talked about it? She's like, well, it doesn't affect him. I'm the one that's going to be the caregiver. I'm like, 
And so when you need to go five hours away for a weekend or at the drop of a hat because something is going on, unless you've built in, you know, things to take care of it so you can be remote. Right. Um, it will impact. And she was like, oh, I hadn't thought of that. It, right. It, it, it affects everybody in the family. It affects your work if you're working. If you yeah. are a working you know, um, uh, person and you're taking care of your loved one. I mean, where do you get, find the time for yeah. you? And, and those are the things that we walk through. And also I know that a lot of people don't like to have the difficult conversations and I'll just put the first one that nobody likes to talk about at the top of the list, which is finances. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the second will be, what are your wishes for when you pass? Yeah. And have that, and have that um, power of attorney stuff set up and the, um, you know, if you, a living will, do not resuscitate order, whatever you want. You need to get that. You need to do that when you're healthy because that's when you make the best decisions. So, yes. Beth, we have covered a lot of information and this is a very, this is a very sensitive topic. And I, I really appreciate you coming on and talking about this because these are difficult conversations for families to have. What would you what would you like people to remember the most out of our time here together? You don't have to do it alone. You really don't have to carry the burden. Um, there are people, there are resources um, there to help. And and along with that is that all the feelings that you're going to have, they're all valid. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's OK to have them. It's actually better to have them instead of stuffing them down. And um, and as much as your situation is unique, it is also very similar to others who can help you through that and navigate it. And there are resources out there. Absolutely. And, and your coaching service being one of them. So if people do want to get a hold of you, Beth, find out more about what you do, or, um, you know, just just get more information or work with you. What's the best way for them to reach out to you? Yeah, the best way to reach out to me is you can email me at Beth at within you. And that's the letter U coaching.com. Um, I also have a Facebook page or you can check out my website, uh, which is within you coaching.com. I will let you know it does not have a lot about the caregiving part there right now. Um, but I'm building that as we speak. Um, but those are the ways that you can definitely reach out and get in touch with me. Happy Perfect. to have a conversation. Perfect. Thank you so much, Beth. All that information is going to be in the show notes. So take a look at those. And I want to thank you for listening in. This has been a really incredible and important topic for a lot of just women, but men and families who are dealing with um, loved ones that are dealing with uh, Alzheimer's, dementia, or other cognitive disorders. So Beth, thank you. Thank you, Marty. Thanks for listening and supporting the D-Shift podcast. If you would like to attend live trainings by our amazing guests and have a chance to ask questions and get answers from our experts, join the D-Shift crew. For more details and to sign up, head on over to www.divorcecoachforwomen and click on the podcast page.